Thank you. I am Sharon, a compulsive overeater and your moderator for this, share, for this session. Please join me a moment of silence followed by the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I will now read our anonymity statement and the sixth tradition. Anonymity statement. To those of you who might be here representing the print or television media, please help us preserve the cherished tradition of anonymity by refraining from taking pictures in this or any other meeting room. We ask that in your reporting on OA that you use only first names or pseudonyms indicated as such of OA members and that you obscure the faces of those you identify who identify themselves as OA members. Sixth tradition. An OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. The format for this session is to have three speakers share for 20 minutes their experience, strength, and hope on the topic followed by open pitches. This is a one and one quarter hour meeting. Our topic is body image. I will now read from the selected reading. Perfection for me is a killer. I can never be perfect. Only God is perfect. I have had enough shame in my life, and I don't need to shame myself not over having a perfect abstinence. As long as I am abstinent today, my goal weight is what I weigh today. I don't worry about it because I can't change my weight one day at a time. Only God can do that instantly. And if I'm abstinent, my weight is exactly what God wants it to be today. Weight is not the problem. Life is the problem. And I work on that through the 12 steps and daily contact with my God. Overeaters, 2nd edition, pages 130 to 131. And I want to let the speakers know the microphone is taped up because we, we need to leave it be. It's kind of a, a recording issue. We don't want to uh, lose the chance to get a good recording of this session. So, Okay, thank you. Our first speaker is Libby T. And your timer is right there. Hi, I'm Libby, a compulsive overeater. And uh, I should probably tell you that uh, unlike many people who are speaking this weekend, I don't have 25 years of abstinence. I don't even have 20 or 15 or 10 or 5. I have 2. So I'm new to this. And I'm nervous as all get out. <laughs> and, uh, and I also need to tell you that when um, I was originally asked to speak on this subject uh, back in like late April or something, um, I said yes because I knew that the person that was asking me knew kind of my story and knew that I had an issue in this area. And my first thought was, and and maybe some of you can relate to this, my first thought was, what am I going to wear? (laughs) And not just what am I going to wear, like what's in my closet, but I went through the, 
okay, how do you dress when you're talking on body image? And that's how sick I am. I mean, that is how incredibly sick I am. So not only do I only have two years in the program, but you're not talking or you're not listening to somebody that has a solution. I'm sorry to say. So bear with me. I can only share with you my experience and the strength and hope that I've gained in these two years, and um, maybe that will help you too. Um, <laughs> I was raised by a mother that happened to be um, a winner of a beauty pageant. Now, this woman is now 80 years old and still to this day has the photo album on her coffee table. That all by itself should tell you something. She also remembers her measurements on the day that she was married. And, um, you know, my waist will never see that size ever. And maybe it did when I was about eight. But, um, my, I, you know, I, I don't even aspire to that. She had a, a tremendous fixation on her image and her body and through osmosis maybe but also through coercion and manipulation all three of her daughters kind of picked up this same illness of, of being extremely over aware of our bodies and our appearance and how we projected ourselves visibly to other people um, in fact, I remember it's funny because when I was a very young child, like five, six, seven, my mother used to say, go brush your teeth before you go to bed because nobody wants to marry someone with bad teeth. And it's like, I'm sure that really motivates a five-year-old. <laughs> you know, all the guys at that age still have cooties, or at least when I was a kid they did, you know. But that's what we used to hear. We used to hear stuff like that. We used to hear things like, um, well, my mother used to take us to a doctor. Now, I was, I think they would consider it preteen. I, I don't know. I heard somebody say she had a teenager because she had an 11-year-old. So I'm not sure if that's preteen or teenage, whatever. But when I was young, my mother took us to diet doctors. And it's only been recently that, I mean, pills were just coming out in those days. And so everybody thought, well, if you nip it in the bud, you'll grow up, you know, your kids will grow up to not have a weight problem. But my sister, who's a, a clinical psychologist and has a couple of master's degrees and all this, she just recently, like in the last couple of years, called me and said, you know, why don't you go look at some pictures of when you were 11 and 12 years old? And I did. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I wasn't overweight. I wasn't fat. But my mother thought I was. And so we went to diet doctors and we took pills. But it also instilled in me an image of myself that was unacceptable. I was unacceptable. And then, of course, add to that uh, some of the coaching, I refer to it as, um, that I got in my home. Um, my dad used to uh, say things, he had cute little nicknames for us, and we were young, um, it was droopy drawers, and you know, all these insulting nicknames, that parents nowadays, I think, have come to understand that insulting your child repeatedly without loving them and encouraging them is probably not a good thing, you know, but that's only been in the last 40 years, you know, I'm older than that, so when I was a child, um, or maybe I should just say it was an anomaly in my home, but I don't know. Uh, insulting us was kind of okay. So droopy drawers, piano legs, you know, this was, I mean, I do have legs shaped like piano legs, uh, so it's probably an accurate comment, but it was devastating to a young child, Frankie. And I grew up thinking that I was not okay. And... Um, and then there was the wonderful coaching that I got from my mother um, 
my sophomore year of high school, I'll never forget this, she bought my sister's pictures, school pictures, but she didn't buy my school pictures because I didn't, I wasn't looking at the camera correctly, and then I got a lesson on how to pose. And, you know, maybe the young girls today in sophomore year in high school are out getting photoshopped at the local mall, but when I was a sophomore in high school, we didn't do that. We weren't in the business of posing for pictures. You just sat there, smiled, snap a picture, get up, move. The next person sat down, snap a picture, get up, move. And that's what we did. And I didn't pose right. I had my eyes up or down or some direction that my mom thought I, I looked too uh, much like a slut, so she wouldn't buy my pictures. You know, and I'm like, okay, fine. You know, I, well, no, you know what? I wasn't okay, fine. That was devastating to me as a sophomore in high school. As an adult, I say, okay, fine, and move on. And since OA, I'm able to do that. Since OA, I'm able to say, okay, fine, and move on. Yeah, it hurts. Today, my mother says things to me like, um, even though I've lost 65 pounds, my mother still says things to me like, don't smile too big. It makes your cheeks look fat. You know, and bless your heart, she has her own hang-ups. But I, I, ne I now need to understand that her hang-ups don't need to be my hang-ups. And OA has taught me how to separate myself from the constant, you can call it barrage, it feels that way sometimes, but maybe it isn't quite a barrage of comments. But no matter how far apart they are, um, each one sings in its own way. And so um, I, I still have the input that tells me I'm not okay. But with OA, I now have a lot of other strength and hope that tells me that I, that I am okay. And one of the things that um, a real, you know, we talk about being spiritually sick when we come into this program, or at least that's the term that I use with me. <laughs> um, I remember walking into a, an event one time, and it was cold and it was raining, and I had a trench coat on, and I hadn't taken the coat off yet. And this man said to me, you look nice today. And I said, how can you say that? I haven't even taken my coat off. Implying, of course, that how could I possibly look nice if you haven't even seen what I'm wearing yet? And he was just referring to my face and maybe my smile. And it didn't even sink in until years later that when I started getting healthier through the program, that, you know, that is really an unhealthy way of viewing myself and um, it was kind of embarrassing to admit that. But in a way, the wonderful thing is, honesty breaks through some of that and allows me to see even my own sick behaviors. Because, you know, all of those years of listening to all of that coercion and manipulation and osmosis that's coming in, that's teaching you what is not okay about yourself, um, it becomes part of you. As much as you don't want to, it becomes it became part of me. That's all I can say. So much so that um, now I the good news is I don't have any more today. But <laughs> I have been known to do some very bizarre behavior around protecting what I look like in public. Uh, things like hairspray to excess because you can't have a hair out of place. Um, and, and people for years, when I lived in the Bay Area, people that had known me for many, many years would make comments about the fact that Libby Sarah's never messed up in public. 
And so we went whitewater rafting one time, and, and intentionally, it was my first trip, I'd never been. And they said, Libby, why don't you sit in the front of the boat? <laughs> they were dying to see my hair, something other than perfect. And uh, today I've changed my hairstyle, and I, I kind of like my hair looking windblown. Um, but unfortunately, I kind of make it look windblown, and then I spray it, you know, <laughs> to make sure it stays like that all day. So I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm still there. But um, another thing that I have historically done, and probably more so now that I've lost 65 pounds, is um, I wear um, pantyhose with my jeans. And I've even taken to wearing pantyhose with shorts and with capri pants, too, because, you know, your legs jiggle a lot when you have a lot of extra skin that wasn't filled, it's not, no longer filled out with as much fat as it was. And so um, I do get kind of self-conscious about that. And um, actually, somebody, I was sharing this in a meeting one time, and somebody came up to me and she said, Libby, it's okay to look nice. If you want to wear pantyhose, that's okay. You know, but I live in Sacramento. <laughs> You've got to be kidding. You're wearing pantyhose under your, the whole point of wearing capri pants is to be cool, right? So um, I'm learning. I, I'm just starting to get comfortable with the fact that, you know, it's okay not to wear pantyhose. So, um, it's, it's a process. I'm on a journey. My weight added to the problem of my image, obviously. Um, even though at 11 or 12, you know, if you look back at pictures, um, I may not have had a weight problem, but I grew to a size where I, was, I had a weight problem. And that really projected a lot of negativism on me, from me, uh, in that area. And so a lot of what I believed about myself was about the size that I was wearing, the store that I had to shop in, or um, what I looked like and how clothes hung on me. And you know, the, the amazing thing is, and, and I don't know, people with a problem with body image, I'm sure can probably relate to this, it's not just what it looks like in the mirror, because in the mirror there is no breeze, you're not walking, you're standing still, and everything hangs beautifully. And then of course you're holding your stomach in, you know. But when you're walking down a hallway at work and you've got some motion going, then your clothes kind of cling to your body a little bit more. And then there's like curves that show that didn't show before. And I was obsessed with everything about what I looked like walking down a hallway. So when I came to OA, I was pretty puppy. <laughs> and um, I'm only a little way on that journey. But I will admit, and, and I know many of you uh, heard this before, this is nothing new. I came for the vanity, and I stayed for the sanity. Because no matter what, what weight I ever uh, grow to be, uh, down or up or whatever, um, the sanity is worth everything to me. It's the, sick, the sickness up here that has projected such a negative body image, more so than any weight or any jiggling or any walking down a hallway um, and having your clothes not hang perfectly straight, you know. Um, one of the things that I have gained out of OA is I'm, I'm learning. I'm on a learning curve. I'm learning to be honest. And it's not standing up here and being honest with you that's the hard part. It's actually, quite frankly, that's the easier of the two. The hardest part about being honest is breaking through that facade that I have built for so many years and projected to other people 
breaking through that and being honest with myself. Because when you have a facade that is so ironclad, you believe your own press. You believe your own image of yourself. Because that I spent years building this image, and so it's going to take a while to, to break through it and even begin to see myself. When I look in a mirror that I see, I see what, what's in the mirror and not what that facade projects. So honesty is, is a big part of my recovery. There's a movie out recently that um, one of the lines in the movie was, when your defenses are down and you're not isolated, that's your killer combo. My defenses are almost never down. And I'm isolated all the time inside my facade. And when that line was read in the movie, and I was in the theater when I first saw it, um, I just I just got lost in it because I just knew that was me. I don't, my defenses are almost never down. In OA, I can drop my defenses. In OA, I can stand up here and be genuine. And I love that, that part about OA or any 12-step program where there's, there's no judging. You know, people, they see who you are and there's no judging. Maybe not everybody likes you and that's okay. But there's no judging and that, that's a relief. That's, that's a breath of fresh air. One of the things that I've learned attending meetings, actually I've several, but one of the things that I've learned, uh, actually two I want to share with you, was by going to meetings and hearing other people's experiences, it helps break through that honesty and, and I'm able to be honest with myself. When I hear other people and I go, oh my gosh, that's me. And that helps me break through and be honest with myself in that, in that area. And so one of the things that I heard was this woman talking one time about how when she was at a party and she was in a room with lots and lots of people and having supposedly a great time and yet she went home and she felt very lonely because she knew that nobody at that party met her. And I thought, ouch. When you live behind a facade, nobody ever meets you. All they meet is your facade. And that was really helpful to me because then I began to write, <laughs> pray, and start coming face to face with that, you know, that aspect of loneliness. Another thing that was said in another meeting um, that has impacted my life tremendously, even just a few days ago, um, the question, well, the question was asked, what do you do when you feel fat? And the answer was, fat is not a feeling. I spent about five days writing about that after, that after I heard that. And I thought, okay, if fat is not a feeling, then what you're saying is that there's a feeling behind it, and we're labeling it fat because that's the comfortable way of calling it. Um, and so recently, just a few uh, days ago, I was in the shower and I was thinking in my head, I'm feeling fat. And I had to drill down to what am I feeling? What? Okay, I'm not feeling fat because I know fat is not a feeling. So what am I feeling? And I had to get down to I'm afraid. I'm afraid that the thing I want to wear today is not going to fit. And then go one layer deeper than that. Why, is, why are you afraid? Well, it's guilt. Because yesterday at lunch I ate something that I shouldn't have. And I'm probably a little bloated today. And I, I had to get down to that root cause. I had to do, I had to do that for me. 
that was my level of honesty with myself that I was portraying that fat is not a feeling um, lesson on the I feel fat dilemma. And that has helped me so much. Coming to meetings and listening to people share and, and helping to break through that shield with other people's comments that strike a chord within me is helping to break down my facade. And, um, you know, my, I, I want to close on this one comment. My sister, like I said, is um, she's 3,000 miles away on the East Coast, but she is a, a, a clinical psychologist, and so I do call her often um, for free counseling. But um, she knows me better than anyone. And uh, the wonderful thing about, about my conversations with her is she's introduced the concept of reparenting. And I've learned about what that means, but I never applied it to my OA experience. And it's kind of funny because in, in, um, prior to coming to OA, I've, I've had a relationship with, with God before, and I, I even refer to him as my Heavenly Father. But I've never connected that experience and gained from it. I've never put it into practice. So um, the whole concept of allowing through steps four through nine and ten, allowing God, my father, to reparent me where my parents failed or, or didn't do the job that I expected. And I have a lot of holes, a lot of injury, a lot of hurt. Um, and step four and five tells me that I need to take responsibility. My, my mother stopped feeding me at a very early age, and I moved out when I was young. So uh, I can't blame my mother for all the food that went in my mouth. So taking responsibility for my weight, taking responsibility for who I am today is very important, and I have to quit blaming my parents. And so I, I came to the dilemma that I have to quit blaming them for, thank you, for... Um, the, the way I was parented. But what I can do is to allow God to reparent me, working through steps four through nine and ten. And so that's what I'm doing today, is allowing God to reteach me that I am worthy and that I am, um, I'm not humiliated when I have to make amends. Humbling is humbling, not humiliation. And those kinds of things are bringing me a long, long way. I want to share with you one last thing. Um, when I shared this at, at a meeting where they knew I was going to talk on body image, and they said, oh, Libby, we want to hear your thing. And so I shared it, and uh, at the end of the meeting, somebody approached me and said, did you, because I read this for today, that particular meeting, and she said, did you pay attention to what you read? And I said, no. I was too nervous. So I just want to read to you, May 27th. The man who never alters his opinion is like standing water and breeds reptiles of the mind. William Blake. I was sure my life would never change, that it would stay the same, that some, then something happened. I found OA or OA found me. That was the beginning. Today my opinion on what is good and bad, right and wrong, how things should or should not be, changes with awareness and the courage to admit my defects and willingness to give up old ideas. Some days I feel stuck, unable to let go. Let me look at my opinion where did I get it? Is it something I believed, I believed as a child? Is it still valid? Why do I keep it? 
There is profit in questions, and answers come to me just as they did in the beginning when I found OA. For today, I stop in the middle of an old answer, an old habit, an old way of thinking, and ask myself, is this really the best way, or is there a better one? Thank you. Our second speaker is Ida F. My name is Ida. I'm a compulsive reader from San Pedro, California. And if you're wondering where San Pedro is, we are 25 miles south of downtown Los Angeles and 25 miles north of Catalina. And that's where I live. Uh, I've uh, been abstaining now for 29 years. And I maintain, and I uh, maintain a, a hundred pound weight loss, and I brought my fat pictures to pass around because um, you know uh, body image. You know, you got to see this body that I came into over years anonymous with. Uh, a few weeks ago, I, I uh, was. What are you doing down there? Oh, well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I lost, I didn't lose my pictures, I left them at a meeting, and so I decided to assemble a new, um, in a, my pictures in a new format, and so I, I had a copy of my, uh, myself at my uh, weight above, uh, when I first came into the program, which was uh, 225, which was not my top weight, my top weight was 240, so I'm actually, ha I'm more than half of, no, I'm slightly less than half of what I was at my top weight. So, um, so I took my uh, my uh, picture of me at 225, and in the process of putting it on this paper, it got larger, <laughs> and I could see me even better, you know, <laughs> uh, because uh, I used to have an eight by ten glossy of me at that weight, because I was a school teacher for 32 years, so I have a running record of my weight, and. Um, I, one foolish, foolish piece of advice I followed once was a woman who told me to get rid of that big picture. I had my 8x10 in the bathroom, and she told me to take it down and burn it. And I did, and I have regretted it ever since, you know. Because she said, you know, you just, you know, you're not that person anymore. I said, yeah, but you know what? I never want to forget. I never, ever want to forget. And the truth is, I don't need my pictures to remind me that I am I'm, that I am a, a morbidly obese compulsive overeater. Actually, all I have to do is hear the attacks on us that are being put out virtually every day through the media. And I know that when when I hear those attacks, I act gut level as if I weigh 240 pounds because that is who I am. And I have never forgotten that. I've never forgotten the humiliation of being a compulsive reader, and I believe that plays a major role in why I have, I came into Overeaters Anonymous on April 17, 1975, and I have not had a binge since. And that's it. So, but you know, when you look at those pictures, you're supposed to go, oh my God, look at that woman, you know, and that's the kind of reaction I, I think they should solicit because uh, uh, I've had people um, pick up my pictures and not knowing they were me and go, 
and they don't recognize the person. And other people say, you know, uh, oh, but I can see your eyes, and I go, bullshit, those are not my eyes, and those eyes and those pictures are dead, absolutely dead, and my eyes are not dead anymore. Because my eyes truly are a mirror to my soul, and my soul is absolutely alive. Okay, I was born cute. I have, I was such a cute baby. I was a normal weight, six pounds, nine ounces. Uh, I was um, a late in life baby. Some people have referred to me as a change of life baby this weekend. I go, no, I was not a change of life baby. I was a medical prescription. My mother was sick all the time. The doctor said, have a baby, it'll clean you out. And two years later, I was born. <laughs> and, uh, uh, I have a picture of me. Uh, I was um, born into the Catholic Church, and so I have a baptismal picture of me at about six months. Cute. Cute. I have a picture of me at four, five years. Oh, my God. You know, and it must have been back when they did pink curls. I know there were women in here who are old enough to remember pink curls. You know, you take a wrap it on your finger and stick it with a bobby pin, and then when you uncurl it, it just woo all over the place. Well, that's the way I look. But, oh, my God, I was a sweetheart. And um, and the worst thing that possibly anybody has ever said to me was my father when he said to me once, after I was an obese and incredibly deformed teenager, he said to me, you were so cute. When you were born, you saved our lives. My father was... 50 years old. He said, you saved our lives. He said, you were such a cute baby, but look at you now. Now, can you imagine what that did to me? And I believed, I believed that I was fat and that I was ugly. But I was not ugly because I was fat. I was ugly because I was ugly. And then when I came into this program and I got a sponsor, when she first met me, she told me later on, when she first met me, she thought that I was still going to be ugly once I lost my weight. <laughs> Boy, was she wrong. Oh, my God. <laughs> and then later on, she said that she was wrong. But, you know, she didn't need to tell me that either. You know, That really was none of my business, what she was thinking at that particular moment. And, all, and I didn't tell her that the reason I picked her to be my sponsor was because, you know, she was, she was up. She was a slob, her, you know, she was dressed badly, her hair wasn't combed, but at least she wasn't a fat slob, and my goal in life was to be able to go around looking like a slob without people saying I was a fat slob. Now, if you show up at my Saturday morning meeting, my home meeting is uh, 8.30 a.m. Lomita, which uh, is, uh, Lomita is near Torrance, which is near Los Angeles, incredible meeting. Uh, it's too early in the morning for anybody to lie, you know, where our defenses are down. <laughs> Um, I come in there and I look pretty much like slob. They're lucky if my hair is combed, you know. Unless I'm speaking somewhere else or I'm going somewhere else, I, you know, there's no makeup, there's no pretense. I just walk in with what I've got on me. And, uh, and if anybody cares, it's too bad. Nobody really does. Cause, you know, I, I look at that meeting as if it's my living room. You know, I haven't gone out somewhere. I've just gone to another home. And uh, I can feel absolutely comfortable being a slob, you know. So, um, but I was thinking about what I was going to wear today, because you know, after all, you know, I'm 
it's body image, and so I'm wearing clothes that I don't normally wear when I speak. I have embroidered jeans and a and a fitted, a semi-fitted T-shirt on top, you know. But I'm uh, and dangly earrings, which is pretty much out of character because I'm pretty conservative. You know, these are called chandelier earrings, and and but anyhow, and so I, I look pretty wonderful for the people who are listening on CD and. Um, <laughs> And uh, my hair is its natural color. Now, when you look at those pictures, you can see that I was—I came in practically blonde, you know. And one of the things that I did in Overeaters Anonymous was go back to my natural hair color. For me, what, uh, there is a sign that I am in trouble. One is that I want to change the color of my hair. And two, I want to buy a car. And if those two things occur to me, I need to start, you know, looking at the steps very quickly because <laughs> I'm in trouble. Uh, but uh, this whole business of body images is huge, and uh, no pun intended, because, uh, you know, as a 100-pounder, I carry all kinds of scars. Um, I, you know, actually, I'm getting warm enough here, so I'm going to show you more of me. But um, I tend to be cold a lot. Thank you. And I, you see, I have long sleeves on, well, semi-long sleeves, and that's because even through my clothes, you can see that my arms hang. That is, you know, one of the scars of the disease. My, I have all kinds of, I have a slight apron around my abdomen. Uh, it's not bad. Um, God bless her. A lady at my home meeting just recently had her apron done, and she lost 16 pounds of skin. And, uh, but I didn't, ha I don't have that, but, you know, I'm always going to have a pouch. I can do sit-ups all day long, and I'm still going to have a pouch. Uh, and I've got a lot of skin on my legs. But, you know, after I lost my weight one day, I was at school, and this boy came up to me, and, and he looked at my arm, and he pointed to it, and he said, what is that? And I said, that's skin. And I, and I said, I used to be fat. And he said, oh, okay, and he walked off. One of the most important things my sponsor, my first sponsor, ever told me was, if I don't get to know my new body, if I don't get to like my new body, I'm going to get my old one back. And so I did not leave that to chance. Just as I don't leave my abstinence to chance, I did not leave this to chance. Now, I lost my weight. I lost 100 pounds in 14 months which is a pretty fairly rapid weight loss. It was very steady. There were no plateaus involved. It, I lost 80 pounds in eight months and then uh, 20 pounds in the last six months. And uh, my sponsor warned me. She said, you know, your mind is going to be behind your body. You're going to have to give your mind time to catch up. It's probably at least two years behind your body. Well, mine turned out to be 16 years behind my body. But that, uh, you know, and it wasn't until I was uh, about 16 years in this program that I, I knew I was thin enough, you know. So I don't understand these people who complain after, you know, 30 days that their life isn't perfect and they have a perfect body image and, and they, you know, I, I mean, please, you know. Besides, we are in this for the long haul. And uh, so I set upon a course of action for me to get to know my body. And boy, I really needed to do it because, uh, and maybe other 100 pounders can relate to this, but I would um, pick up a bag of groceries to put on my hip 
and there was no hip there where I had put the bed. <laughs> I didn't know where I was in space anymore. I didn't know where my center of gravity was because it had shifted, you know? And so I decided uh, to do some things. And one thing I decided to do was to um, take a dance class. I was going to uh, Cal State LA or, or working my way across the pay scale. And uh, I decided to do this and I looked at the schedule and there was modern dance and folk dance and I thought, well, I can take folk dancing. I mean, even at my top weight, I'm, I was a music minor in college, I could keep rhythm, I could dance. And I had, even when I was fat, you know, I, have, I had a lot of flexibility, I could put my foot in my mouth literally. I was one of those who not only bit her fingernails, I bit my toenails. And, um, and they were more of a challenge because they're thicker, more satisfying. Well, anyhow. Um, <laughs> So, uh, in reading the, the classes, I thought, oh, I, I'll do the folk dance, and then I kept looking at that modern dance. And the more I looked at that modern dance, the, the more frightening it became. Because, you know, what do you wear when you do modern dance? Tights and leotards. And I thought, I can't do that. So, of course, I signed up for modern dance. And I walked in, into the room, and, uh, you know, there were mirrors on all sides. Now, I was, I was, you know, I was my normal weight. I had lost all my weight at this time. But I, I didn't want to look at myself in a mirror. And, you know, with uh, a dress like that, I'm going to tell you something. There isn't a mirror that I've ever walked by that I didn't look into. <laughs> Even these, you know, these mirrors on these doors drive me crazy. <laughs> I keep, oh, there I am. <sighs> Um, so, and I had, you know, my black leotard and tights on, and I had to watch myself. You know, we had to look at ourselves in the mirror moving. And uh, we had, I had this lovely young instructor, and, and I immediately told her that I was a compulsive reader, a member of World Readers Anonymous, that I had lost 100 pounds, because I wanted to get her understanding and sympathy that I couldn't do this. But you know what? That didn't make any difference to her. You know, I was still expected to do this stuff, you know. One day she walked in with a moody camera, and I thought I was going to throw up. I mean that, because I did not want to see myself on tape. And I told her, I said, I can't do this. And she said, all right. And they didn't, she didn't tape that day. And, but, uh, you know, the class went on, and I got more and more at ease at seeing myself, and, and I realized that, you know, there was a certain amount of grace that I had, and my, my musicianship was coming through. And uh, one day we were putting, oh, my God. I only have five minutes left. I have 30 years of program. Yeah. Uh, anyhow, so... Uh, but that uh, we were doing these uh, trios and I had two partners and we were doing this, this thing and she brought the camera back in but that day luckily I didn't have tights on I didn't have a, um, a leotard on I had these loose fitting drawstring pants that were perfectly appropriate for the class but they were not revealing okay so I said and she said Ida if you don't want to be taped it's alright but we're going to take the whole class and I said okay and I allowed myself to be taped with my partners doing this. And when she showed it, 
on um, <clears throat> um, when she played it back for us. You know, I sat there and I watched myself. And the three of us together, it was wonderful to see. And you know what? And I was not ugly. And um, I was not—I was not holding those other two people back from doing a good job. You know. So after that, I took modern dance too. <laughs> And then after that, I took ballet one. Oh, shit. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, it was my first experience at the bar. After one day of that class, trying to climb the stairs to my classroom the next day was such an adventure, you know. Uh, but, you know, there was a, that was a childhood dream of mine, you know. I, I dreamed of being a ballerina and floating around, being carried around the stage, you know, light, light as a feather, you know. And... and uh, and there I was in the ballet class where uh, the best dancer in the room weighed at least 40 more pounds than I did. <laughs> you know, she could leap and I couldn't leap with her. You know, I got an A in the class because I showed up. That was it. It was strictly attendance. Um, but, you know, I got to know my body better. And years later, um, my husband would occasionally tape uh, school programs. And I can remember once playing the tape of me and all of a sudden seeing me and looking at me and this was you know 20 years after my dance class and I'm looking at me uh, on the video and thinking I really am thin I really am pretty you know I really am and like I said, 16 years it took me to believe that I was thin enough, and I, I came to that conclusion, and uh, and that is quite a relief. What else did I do, uh, dear? I got married, and uh, I married a man who absolutely doesn't care about uh, the scars of the disease. And uh, one day I was telling him, he. Um, I said, you know, John, you know, I've, I don't think that you even see them. Oh, by the way, just before I tell that wonderful story, I was once on, at my gynecologist, and my gynecologist asked me how many babies I'd had. This came up at a meeting I heard earlier, uh, and I told him I had, had none, and um, I just thought I'd, that's, uh, he turned red, <laughs> as he should have. Anyhow, back to my blessed husband. Uh, you know, I said, you know, John, it just appears to me that you don't even see my scars. It's not that you see them and you don't care. I get the feeling you don't even see them. And he said to me, as far as I'm concerned, he said, uh, those are your battle scars. And you won the war. You know, if that you know that that helps me a lot. You know, I wish I could say that the opinion of others does not matter, but the opinion of others does matter. And when uh, and when I you know I'm married 25 years now to a man who uh, uh, 
his opinion matters, you know. And and it helps me to, uh, you know, he's always telling me how beautiful I am. And I go, yeah, 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 you have to. I feed you, you know, and you're, you're a, um, you just want me to cook for you, you know, or whatever, you know. And, um, but it's, you know, it's true. And so, um, you know, and I, oh, God, 20 minutes isn't long enough, but I only have about one left. Uh, my family, my family of origin gave me no training to be a woman. And I didn't even get around to that at all. But I got no training to be a woman. No training to take a bath every day. No training to wash my hair on a regular basis. No training on what it meant to be a woman or meant to be feminine or, you know, use makeup or not, you know, whatever. None of that stuff. I, I, um, I learned that all after I got into Overeaters Anonymous. You know, I learned about being a woman in this program. And I learned about acceptance of body in this program. And for that, I will be forever grateful. Thank you. Our third speaker is Julie T. Hi, I'm Julie. I'm a compulsive overeater. I've been attending meetings in the San Jose area for 11 years, and um, it's been 11 years since I've been under the influence of chocolate. Um, I do have, just want to qualify a little bit, um, my food plan has been really an evolving process. Um, I started out just abstaining from chocolate. That's all I could do. I like that because it's really crystal clear, black and white, and I, I can claim perfect abstinence. Um, it's changed, though, and now, um, for me now, my, um, my whole program consists of three elements, abstinence, my food plan and weight loss, what I need to do about that. Um, abstinence is what I don't eat. And I don't eat chocolate. I don't do caffeine. I can't do wheat. And I don't do any recreational sugar. Um, my food plan is what and when I do eat. And I eat three meals a day. And I use a commercial points-based system to help me manage what a normal portion is, because I, I don't know. I can't figure that out by myself, and it gets me into trouble all the time. And then I need to know what I need to do with my food and my um, exercise if I want to lose weight. Those are three distinct separate things for me. As far as my weight history goes, I'm about in the middle of my adult weight range. Um, at my highest weight, I weighed 33 pounds more than I weigh now. And at my lowest weight, I weighed 22 pounds less than I do now. Um, I, I have to work on acceptance all the time. Um, my own history with the scale is, is totally nuts, and I haven't owned an, a bathroom scale for at least 11 years. But I'm starting to think now that I need to have one in order to stay out of denial about where I am with my weight. And I'll have a lot of support for that. I... Um, I have at least two sponsors. I sponsor other people, 
and I have a lot of support in the program, and I couldn't do it without it. Um, so as far as body image goes, I want to start out with what it was like. And it's amazing to me hearing the other two speakers how much we have in common. It's just amazing. Um, I was really pleased to be asked to, to share on this topic because for me, body image, low self-esteem, um, is my number one emotional, psychological, and spiritual issue. It is the thing. It's the main symptom of my, of my disease that I have to deal with. Um, a long time ago, it's probably about 13 years ago, I wrote a poem about it, and it started out saying, this obsession is how I hate myself. This obsession of always wishing to be thin and beautiful is how I hate myself. And um, that was really true for me. Um, I wasn't cute when I was a baby. <clears throat> I was the first of seven children. My mother went through a long, traumatic labor and delivery. They finally had to drag me out. And the stories are that when my mother saw me, she cried because my head was very elongated. I was beat up from the forceps and pretty much a mess. That started from the day I was born, a tradition of telling ugly baby stories about Julie. I was the ugly baby in my family. I was called the ugly baby from the moment I was born. They told ugly baby stories until, as a young adult in therapy, I was ready to confront them. And I went back. My family lives on the East Coast. And I went back that summer prepared. Anybody says anything about an ugly baby, I'm ready. They didn't say anything. <laughs> so I have had an opportunity to, to talk about it with my father. My mother passed away before I had a chance to talk to her about it. But I have been able to talk to my father about it. Um, and I have forgiven my family for a lot of that stuff. But um, the, the story that I heard when I was 12 years old, my, my mother brought back my youngest sister from the hospital. And my aunt, who I looked up to, admired, loved, just wanted to emulate, in front of me, said to my mother, the more you have, the cuter they get. So there was no doubt in my mind that I was ugly. And um, I, one of my very early memories is when I was a child and I liked to read, I still love to read, I remember the, the fairy tales. And I knew that if I had a fairy godmother, my first wish would be to be pretty. I knew that all along. Um, and I, so I... I think about it, you know, a lot of people talk about um, commercials and advertising and supermodels and movie stars and all that kind of stuff as being one of the real propagators of um, this myth of what perfection is in terms of beauty. Um, for me, and I only realized this about two years ago, I was reading the latest Jane Owl book, which besides it being a huge disappointment, I realized for the first time at a deep level that this was a woman writer who had created a strong female heroine 
who had beauty and strength and a body that nobody could possibly have. And of course, she's fictional. But my first um, experience with that kind of stuff was when I was, you know, 13 or 14 reading Gone with the Wind for the first time. And here I am, the ugly baby, reading about Scarlett O'Hara and her, you know, her green eyes and her, her perfect skin and her 18-inch waist. I was only 13 and I didn't have a an 18-inch waist. There was no way. So I've, I've been more in touch with it that, the, um, for me, one of the reasons that's perpetuated my low self-image has been fictional um, female characters in novels. And it's a lot of times it's women writers that are doing this. And it was just a couple years ago that I, I started, I said, hey, she's doing this to me. And, of course, I like to read the books, but that's another thing. So um, my negative body image, my self-esteem, is tied up in sort of two different things. One is dislike. I hate my, I have hated my body, and I've gotten better. And I'm talking about what it was like. I hated my body. I couldn't look in the mirror. I have tried through therapy and um, program and suggestions and things, looking in the mirror naked and telling myself I'm beautiful. I can't do it. Today I can look at myself in the mirror and say, I look okay. I look fine. And I like better. I feel better if I look at myself in my clothes and I can say, that's pretty good. And I'm, I'm happy with it. But so dislike is one of the, one of the big um, factors for me in my low body image. The other piece is distortion. I don't know what I look like. I look in the mirror and I don't necessarily see what's reflected back. I don't see what other people see. Um, and I loved what Libby said about feeling fat because for me, if I'm on my program, if I'm doing a clean food plan, if I'm exercising regularly, if I'm in touch with my sponsors and my sponsees, it doesn't matter what I weigh. I can feel really good in my body. I feel like I'm doing the right thing and I feel fine. I can feel two sizes smaller than I actually wear. And it's, it's not right on. I'm, I, uh, it's distorted. If I, but if I'm not on my program, and I loved what Libby said about guilt being underneath that core issue, that's something that I hadn't thought of before. But if I stray from my program, I'm, I feel fat, and then I feel fat and ugly. I have those two words that are synonymous for me, or they have been for a long time, is fat and ugly. We had nicknames in my family, too, besides being the ugly baby. When I was um, an adolescent, became adolescent, um, my nickname that my, my father and my beloved aunt liked to call me was the Crisco Kid. You know, fat in the can. So, I want to move away from what it was like and move more into what happened. I began my journey of recovery when I was, um, before I became into OA, I started um, participating in an ACA, Adult Children of Alcoholics, group therapy program, and it was really intense. And um, 
That's where I broke through a lot of the uh, denial I had about my childhood. I was in total denial. I thought I had this courier and eyes of state New York, country Christmas, you know, big family thing. And I had to break through. I had to get out of denial about the abuse that I had endured as a child. I also had to learn that I was um, a victim. I'm a recovering victim. And I didn't want to do that anymore. Um, but um, it was in that ACA therapy group where I discovered that my journey to wholeness had to do with loving myself. I had to learn how to love myself. I had read many, many books about this, and I knew it intellectually. But that's where I made that you know, 18-inch drop down to my heart and really got it at a deep level. It was one of the most... Um, powerful aha moments I've had during recovery. And then I started OA in 1993, and that's where I've continued my journey. And it's, it's helped me a lot dealing with issues with weight loss, with, um, I always use my weight to stay invisible. My body image is tied up so much with the fear of rejection. Because I knew that I was rejected even before I left my house because I was ugly. I never dated. I didn't go to dances. Even in college, my friends would go out. They went out dancing to meet guys. I wasn't going to go sit in a bar and, and experience the rejection that I knew I was going to experience. There's no way I could do that. So I have had a lot of work to do. Um, <clears throat> so, one of the things that I know about my disease is that the underlying um, components, the underlying dynamic is codependence. But where I feel at home is an OA. Overeating, compulsive overeating is where I manifest my disease. Because if I can stay a little bit overweight, I'm going to be invisible. It's such a paradox to get bigger to be invisible. But it worked for me. And it had to do with the kinds of clothes that I would choose to wear. And for the tape, I'm wearing a bright fuchsia style. You know, I am wearing the color this season. And uh, <laughs> so, and white pants. <laughs> so, um, I, and I, I feel pretty good about that. So working the steps, using the tools, working with sponsors, working with sponsees has helped me stay spiritually well. What it's like now, I wish I could tell you I was done with this, but it's peeling the onion. And um, I've recently just gone through a, a phase of regretting the amount of time I spent hating myself when I was younger, when my body was very healthy when I was at an appropriate weight for my stature. And, um, you know, just wishing I had that skin back now, you know. So along with regretting the amount of time I wasted hating myself, I've um, gotten in touch with the effects of aging. And things aren't where they used to be. <laughs> and my skin tone has changed. And there are wrinkles and gray hair and all kinds of stuff. And so I've been dealing with that. But now, after 11 years of program, I can deal with it in a way. I can acknowledge the sadness. I can acknowledge the regret. I have tools to deal with that. And I can move on. Um, I also 
recently started dancing. And I started dancing with folk dance. And I've branched out now to do more um, social dancing. And I love vintage historical dancing, which is ballroom dancing, but in the old 19th century form, forms of it. And it's the music and the, and the dancing is wonderful. And I get to wear costumes, um, which I love. But beginning dancing really brought me face to face with my fear of rejection. To want to go to a dance so bad, so bad, it is just a physical feeling, and to be so scared at the same time. And in the past, without program, I wouldn't have felt it. I wouldn't have wanted to go. I wouldn't have gone. With the help of my sponsor, I was able to go to my first dance by myself, not even with a friend, and go to a dance and get experience being asked to dance and experience not being asked to dance. So today, I can experience rejection or I can experience selection and know that it doesn't have really anything to do with what I look like. There are so many factors that determine whether or not I'm rejected or selected. And the way I look is just one little thing. And um, it feels so good. I mean, I, it's, to have rejected myself for so many years and um, that kind of, you know, you can't fire me, I quit. Well, you can't hurt me because I'm already hurting myself. Well, I try not to hurt myself anymore, and it really helps. Um, so... Most of the evidence that I have, is, especially in the last 11 years of program, is that I rarely get rejected. It just doesn't happen. And, um, and I still have to feel the fear and that it's going to be there. But I can go, and I can go into situations. <clears throat> and in my past experience, it's been more comfortable for me to feel the shame and the guilt and the frustration of compulsive overeating than it is to face some of the deeper feelings that have ruled my life. I'd rather fuss about an extra 10 pounds, and my son and I have a joke. He says, how much weight do you need to lose, Mom? And he says back with me, 10 pounds. And uh, he even introduces me to people like that. You know, he brings home a friend or something. He says, watch this. How much weight do you have to lose, Mom? <laughs> oh, 10 pounds. <laughs> so... Um, that's, that's going on. And it's just easier for me to fuss with that than to deal with the deeper level. One of the things that um, I want to end with is <clears throat> when I was in high school, I was in the senior play, and we, I played the part of Emily in Our Town, if you're familiar with that. At one point, Emily, in the first act, and she's only about 12 or 13, asks her mother if she's pretty. And her mother says, of course you are. All my children are very good-looking. I'm very proud. And, um, and, so, and then Emily wheedled, because that's not exactly what she wanted to hear. Mama, were you pretty? And her mama says, why, yes, of course. I, I, as a matter of fact, I was the, the prettiest girl in town next to Amy, what's her name? And that's still not exactly what Emily wanted to hear. And finally she says, but Mama, am I pretty enough to... And her mother says, Emily... You're pretty enough for all normal purposes. <laughs> and that's what I would try. If I ever get around to writing my memoirs, that's going to be the title of my book, Pretty Enough for All Normal Purposes. 
And the one last thing I want to say is a quote that I just recently heard um, in the program about recovery. It's not that I think less of myself. It's that I think of myself less. My self-hatred is a history of terminal self-centeredness. And in the program, I have the tools, I have the activities, I have the suggestions, I have so much stuff to do that I don't, and now I can dance and I can do all the kinds of stuff that I do. I don't have to spend that much time thinking about myself. So thank you very much for listening, and I really appreciate having the opportunity to share on this topic. meeting is now open for three-minute pitches. Please limit your sharing to three minutes and confine your share to your experience, strength, and hope on the topic discussed today. Also, all participants must sign the tape release form, which is right up here. Please sign before your pitch. The session ends at 5.15 p.m. Dana, I'm a close reader. Oh my God, and I can't believe it. Something pushed me out of my chair. <laughs> I absolutely love this topic. It's just so, thank you so much for whoever put it on the schedule and you guys for coming out here telling how it is, is really was one of the scariest parts of my recovery. I just, I had 19 and a half years of recovery and abstinence, and let me tell you, a lot of it has been who the heck is that in the window, in the mirror when I go by the door? Um, when I first lost my weight, <clears throat> my favorite story is I went shopping with my daughter, and she loved to take me shopping because I was getting cute clothes. And um, this particular boutique had window, uh, windows, mirrors on everywhere, just everywhere. And I'm trying on these clothes, and she's saying, oh, that looks good, get that, get that. And I kind of said, you know, Chris, this store is cheating. They have put thin mirrors throughout this door. And she looked at me as if I were crazy, and the saleswoman heard this story, and she's looking at me as if I'm crazy. And finally I got it that I hadn't a clue. I just didn't have it. It didn't matter what the number on the thing was. I was still a size 20 in my mind, and they were cheating on the, on the thing. And it's the funniest thing. I've had so many people tell me today, you look really good. I'm telling you, I feel like this is the, for those, all of you people who are over 59, I am not supposed to wear a dress like this in public. All right? That's my grandmother. You shouldn't go out like that. You're too old. You should dress appropriately. And it's so much fun to be with people whose opinion I trust, who say, hey, you look great, you know? And there's nothing wrong with having a lot of fun as we get older and enjoying clothes. But it's a daily thing. I go shopping. It's, oh, you shouldn't wear that. And it, it, it's so deep. I can't remember which one of you said you're still walking around as that size person. But it's a constant challenge. Thank you all for being here.
Hi, my name is Rosie, and I am from San Francisco. Oh my gosh, I was so happy to be here. Um, I love special focus meetings or special focus workshops that just are my key issues. I'm a compulsive eater, but I am obsessive about my body image and body dysmorphia, and I have an utter disconnect from from my body and what it looks like or what it should look like and when I'm happy and all that other stuff. And I'm um, hearing the, the chat today and, and whenever I, I go to a special focus meeting back home um, with anorexic bulimics and body image issues and I just, I get such hope for it from for myself. Any recovery that I have in this area has come directly from OA rooms from what other people have shared and um, you know, I, I'm, for me, my history with this started in utero. I mean, I was a solution to a problem. That's my entire reason for being born. And my mother was so unhappy. She ate her way through the pregnancy and only came up with boys' names at that. One of her daughters was her Barbie doll and shopped at Princess. And I got to go in to let them know they were taking too long. And yet, one of my heroines was Scarlett O'Hara because what I saw in her was strength and craft and she was a brunette like I was. Um, and that actually helped get me through my youth. But what I want to say is that when I look in the mirror, um, I don't hate my body. My body cries with me. It feels my pain. Um, I love my body. I always have. And I didn't understand why my body and I received so much of what I thought just didn't make sense to who I was. Didn't they know how special I was? Didn't they know I was funny and brilliant and, you know, shouldn't have had all this? Shouldn't, shouldn't have just been used, useful to them in the ways I was and, um, or ignored, taken out when they needed me, whatever they needed me for. And um, they did the best they could. Um, and I'm getting over that thanks to this program, but um, I have a long way to go. And um, luckily, I have a lot of support and love about my battle scars. A sponsor a long time ago told me that they were not just scars, they are battle scars. And as somebody here said, I'm winning the battle. Thank you. I'm Terry and I'm a compulsive overeater and um, I just want to say that I've been in the program for almost eight years and I and um, I did lose weight during during the um, during the fifth fourth or fifth year and um, I lost I lost almost 45 50 pounds and then I in in two years I gained it all back and um, I, I went many times gaining my weight back and, and then losing it many times back and forth. 
even before 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 that time too, I lost weight and gained it back. So I've gone through that many times, and um, I just want to say that today, in a way, you know, I'm starting over again. I, and then when then I when I went out this last time when I went back out. Um, I wasn't able to get back my abstinence. I couldn't even stay abstinent two days or one day, you know. And today I've got, I've got, I'm getting, tomorrow will be my fourth day of abstinence. <laughs> and um, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit, um, the weight's lifted off my shoulders and I'm feeling really good. I've got through a lot of mixed feelings of, Lots of mixed feelings, the racing mind for a while it was, and I went and, but I meditated and that went away, and I talked about my problems and that I was going through to some of the people in the program, so it went away, and then I did some activities, and then it went away, the racing, okay, and now I am doing okay, you know, after talking about it, and um, I just want to say that um, talking about your feelings is just as important as losing the weight. Thank you. Bonnie, I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, everybody. Um, this topic is uh, really close to my heart, as I'm sure it is to a lot of you. And um, I just wanted to talk about a recent experience that I had. Um, some friends of mine um, are celebrating their 25th anniversary, and so their daughter, who's 24, and um, uh, just th <coughs> excuse me, three weeks younger than my son. So we've known her her whole life, and uh, and we knew her parents before they, uh, you know, decided to have kids. We've known them our whole lives practically, and um, so I had to go through um, 25 years of photo albums because she wanted memory pages of her parents, and um, what that did is I didn't only look at them; I looked at my pictures too. And the thing of it was, is that I don't know when I was overweight. You know, um, there were pictures of me, like, in the last 25 years, and the overweight was really inside. It was in my mind. And then at some point, um, you know, after losing weight and gaining weight and losing weight and gaining, gaining, you know, like, just back and forth, but it must not have been that much that much weight, you know, and there was a picture of me when I was 36, and I'll be 59 in um, uh, September, and it was called the perfect 36, and I remember when that picture was taken, and I weighed 136 pounds, and I was 36 years old, and I thought that I was fat, you know, I really thought, how could I take that picture, and um, I just want to say that... Um, Finally, I did get obese, and I'm six sizes smaller, and um, I still don't know what I look like. You know, thanks. It is now time to close this session. Let's thank, uh, thank our speakers again.
Uh, please stand where you are, and after a moment of silence, join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Jesus.